there are a variety of ways to respond to God's gospel message. We have seen and, and will see many of these responses in our study of the gospel of Luke. Times when God's message is preached, the response is anger. Some do not like that message of man's sin and the fact that he deserves judgment and his need of salvation. When that message is preached, there are some who who lash out at the messenger and reject the message. Another response to uh, God's gospel message is ridicule. Many make fun of the the, the message and they belittle God's messengers and, and the Messiah times the the hearers of the message they respond with skepticism they they question and they 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 doubt the gospel message they question the person and work of of Jesus Christ and we have we have seen many respond in that way in our study of Luke we have also seen many respond in the right way with repentance and faith we certainly see that type of response with the woman of the city at the end of Luke 7. Let me read that for you because I know it's been a while since we've been in the Gospel of Luke. We are told in Luke 7, beginning in verse 37, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she heard that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. When we looked at this passage, we said that this woman, in contrast to Simon the Pharisee, approached Jesus in the right way. She did not come like he did, with skepticism and and in pride, believing she had earned a place at the table with Jesus because of her outward acts of religious devotion. She came lowly and in humility, knowing she failed to measure up, knowing she had fallen short of God's Glory. She came before Jesus broken. She fell at his feet repentant. She looked on him in faith. She placed her trust in him. And Jesus said of her to Simon the Pharisee, Do you see this woman? Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. He said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. Your, your faith has saved you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 8. Luke 8. It's been a while, like I said a minute ago. I know you slept a bit, but we left off in Luke 8, okay? Since then, we're picking up where we left off, right where we left off last time. In the first few verses of Luke 8, we see Jesus continuing with this great work that he has been doing throughout Galilee, and we are going to see more unlikely people respond to Jesus, like this woman of the city at the end of Luke 7. Look at it with me, beginning in verse 1 of Luke 8. Soon afterward, this is soon after the events in Simon the Pharisee's house with this woman of the city, Luke tells us, Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. 
So we learn in, in Luke 8 that, that Jesus continues throughout the cities and villages in, in Galilee with his ministry. He travels around from place to place preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He goes and he shares the gospel, the fact that God's kingdom has come with his coming because he is the king of God's kingdom. He comes to proclaim that and that through the, the work the Father sent him to accomplish, through his life, death, and resurrection, man will be able once again through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ, man will be able to be forgiven of sin and restored once again to a right relationship with God. Christ shares that through repentance and faith, man is able to become a citizen of God's kingdom, being set free from the penalty of sin, set free to live for God in the power of the Holy Spirit as his kingdom people under his rule and reign. That was his ministry. That was his message. And notice the response. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 1. And the twelve were with him, so this is Christ's chosen disciples, many of whom we've talked about already. They become future leaders of the early church, but they were unlikely men, primarily from the, the northern kingdom, the old northern kingdom, far removed from the temple and far removed from the holy city. They were fishermen, tax collectors, and sinners. Verse 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So, so notice in, in verse 2, like Christ's disciples, these women were unlikely as well. What made them unlikely? Well, one, they were women. Society was not kind in this day at this time to women. I read that to have women traveling with men in this day would have been shocking, especially women like these women. Many of these women, like the, the woman of the city in, in Luke 7, they had a reputation. They, they were women who had one time been demon-possessed. Mary had seven demons. There were women who had infirmities. We don't know what sicknesses or disabilities they have. We're not given specifics here, but we do know in, in this Jewish culture that some with, with certain sicknesses, they were viewed as outcasts in this day. They were separated from the people of God because of their, their, their sickness. These women were known for keeping company with individuals with questionable character. Notice you have Joanna, the wife of a man named Chusa, who was the, the manager of Herod's Antipas, that is, Herod the Tetrarch's estate. We've talked about Herod a little bit. He was a character. He was known for his wickedness, his immorality, his godlessness. He had a, an infamous relationship with his brother's wife, Herodias. He was the one, because he got called out on it by John the Baptist, he was the one that put John the Baptist behind bars. So in addition to being seen in, in public with, with women, which was a big no-no in this day, these women had questionable reputations. 
But like with the woman of the city, after these women encountered Jesus, they're transformed, healed physically. We're told that Jesus healed them of their infirmities. They're healed spiritually. Demons are cast from them. They're transformed from the inside out. They become devoted Christ followers. They begin to follow Jesus and they follow him faithfully till the end. We learn they follow him from Galilee to Calvary to the cross, to the grave, and back out again. They're some of the first witnesses of the empty tomb and the risen Lord. They are faithful. They, like the woman of the city, also sacrifice for Jesus. Remember the woman of the city? She, she spilled out her precious ointment on Jesus' feet. These ladies here in, in Luke chapter 8, they support Jesus and the ministry of his disciples financially. Look at the end of verse 3. We're told they provided for them out of their means. Luke shows us again here with these women the right response to Jesus. While many of these women were outcast in their world in Christ's kingdom, they were received with open arms by him. Why? Because they had been transformed from sinners to saints, from enemies of God to citizens of his kingdom, from children of wrath to children of God. They had forsaken their sin. They had been healed spiritually, and they were looking to Christ in faith and faithfully following after him. Again, while many of these religious leaders would have looked down upon Jesus and his disciples for being seen in public with these women, not to mention women like these women, women like the woman of the city in Luke 7, sick and lowly women, demon-possessed women, Jesus loved them and received them. You notice who else seems to be okay with these women? Jesus' disciples, remember they too, like we said a moment ago, have become recipients of God's amazing grace. Christ chose them, called them, changed them. They were undesirable, and they in turn received these women and remained in fellowship with them throughout the rest of the gospel story. So notice God's gracious dealing with his disciples had no doubt changed the way they treated others. What about you, believers? Has God's gracious dealing with you changed the way you treat other people? Do you treat people the way God has treated you? The way God has been loving toward us should influence the way in which we, we love others, especially those who are looked down upon and discarded by many in our society today. Good point of application right there. So in the first part of Luke's gospel, especially at the end of Luke 7 and beginning of Luke 8, Luke focuses in on some various, uh, various responses to, to God's gospel, to Christ's ministry, which leads Christ to tell the parable that he does in Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at this parable today. And in this parable, we see a variety of responses when it comes to God's gospel message. Look at it with me in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. So notice here, Luke comes right out and tells us this is a parable. The word means to throw alongside. It's a story thrown alongside a truth to illustrate that, that kingdom truth. 
Jesus often taught in this way. And in this parable, notice we have a farmer. The reason we know we have a farmer is because he's sowing seed, right? And we are going to learn here in just a moment that this farmer represents a preacher of God's word. It's going to become very obvious as we go along. And we are told that this farmer, this sower, he went out and sowed seed. And another thing that's going to become very, very clear in just a moment is that the seed that the, seed, the, the sower is, is sowing is the gospel. Okay, So the, the sower is the preacher of the gospel and the seed is the gospel. And in this parable, the seed falls on four different types of soil. We're going to learn here in a moment that these four different types of soil represent four different ways in which the gospel message is received, okay? So let's look at these four types of soil for just a moment. Notice first there is the hard soil. Look at verse 5. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. You ever noticed how soil along the, the path is harder there than in other places? You ever notice that where, where there's a lot of foot traffic? The grass often wears away. The dirt gets packed down. So the soil is hard along the path. And therefore, seed thrown along the path does not take root because the ground is too tough. It's too hard to penetrate. So it gets trampled out, stomped out easily. And he also says, birds come and immediately snatch up the seed. So that's the first type of soil, the hard soil. The next type of soil Jesus makes mention of is the rocky soil. Look at verse 6. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. So soil number two is the rocky soil. Jesus says other seeds fell on rocky ground and there was not that much soil because it was rocky. And some fell between the rocks and it took root, but it didn't take deep roots. And in Mark's gospel, we learn because there was not that much soil and because it didn't take deep root and because there was a lack of moisture, as Luke tells us, and as Matthew says and Mark says, because of the scorching sun, it withered away. Second type of soil, rocky soil. Third type of soil is found in verse 7. That is the thorny soil. Look at verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. So, so Jesus says the seed that fell among thorns again took root and grew, but the thorns grew up with it and choked the plant out. The fourth soil mentioned by Jesus is the good soil. We see that in verse 8. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is the fourth type of soil. The good soil. We're told that, that the sower, he sowed seed in the good soil and it took deep roots and it produced. It was fruitful. How fruitful? A hundredfold. Jesus is describing here an extremely fruitful crop. I read in this day, typical agricultural harvest ranged from fivefold to fifteenfold with tenfold being considered a good crop. 
So if tenfold is considered good, imagine how good a hundredfold is, right? He's, he's describing here an incredibly fruitful return. So notice here that, that this, this fourth soil is good soil. And the reason we know it's good is because it is fruitful and it reproduces. Remember that. That's important. Okay? Now that's the parable. The question we now need to ask is, how, how do we make sense of this parable? Well, we have to understand that there are different elements to this parable and we need to know what those represent to understand this parable. In this parable, we already talked about the sower represents the messenger of the gospel. The, the seed being sown is the gospel. Four different soils represent four different ways the gospel is received, four different responses to the gospel. How do I know that? Where did I get that from this parable? Very, very simple. Jesus tells us. He explains the parable to us. doesn't always do that, but he does here. In this text, in this next section in verses 9 through 15, Jesus gives us a very clear and straightforward explanation of this parable. And the reason why is because his disciples ask him to explain it to them. They're eager to know. They want Jesus to share with them the secrets to the kingdom, and Jesus makes it known to them, but not to everyone. Look at verses 9 and 10. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So we, we learn here that while parables were often told to make truths clear, familiar to understand, easy to understand, they were also meant to do the opposite as well. Do you see that there? The purpose of parables are to enlighten, yes, but they're also to conceal. Parables are told for merciful reasons, revealing eternal truths to those with ears that are listening, those whose whose hearts are open to understand the things of God, and they're also told as divine judgment to those whose hearts have grown dull, those who have calloused hearts, those whose eyes have been closed, so that they should not see and hear and understand with their hearts and turn. As Isaiah says, when describing the hardening effect of the prophetic message in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. John MacArthur in his book on the parables of Jesus said this. Look at this quote. I'm going to be quoting from this book a bit this morning. Parables hid the truth from the self-righteous or self-satisfied people who fancied themselves too sophisticated to learn from Jesus, while the same parables revealed truth to eager souls with childlike faith, those who were hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's who the message is for. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's who the parable is for, those with ears to hear. 
those hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And that is an accurate description of most of the disciples here and the women with Jesus, which is why Jesus explains this parable to them. So let's look at this explanation. Notice point number one, the explanation of the hard soil. Look at verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So if the seed is the word of God, we know that the sower of that seed is the preacher of the word of God, right? See that? The seed is the gospel. It's the word of God. Verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. He says here that the hard soil refers to one who hears the gospel but does not really hear it, doesn't listen, doesn't understand. It never sinks in. It doesn't take root, making it easy to be stomped out and making it easy for the enemy who is described here as a bird in the parable, making it easy for him to snatch that word away from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. You ever share the gospel with someone and it's like, Talking to a brick wall. Ever had that experience? If you've shared the gospel, you should have. Lots of people like this. Nothing's getting through. They hear what you're saying, but they're not really hearing it. They're not listening. They're not buying it. It doesn't matter how passionate you are when you share it. It has no effect. It doesn't take root in the least bit. That's who Jesus is describing here. Now, why doesn't it penetrate? Consider the description here. They're hardened to it. They're not truly listening. Therefore, they remain unbelieving. When the seed is sown, it doesn't take root at all, making it easy to be stomped out and snatched away. This is true of seed sown along the path. And again, don't gloss over the fact that the devil is the one who snatches the word away. Folks, do you realize that each time the word is being preached, there is a spiritual battle taking place in the minds and the hearts of men? For that reason, we need to be praying for this time. And whenever that time is, when we gather together as God's people and when the word of God is open and when you have someone teaching and preaching saying, thus says the Lord, there is a spiritual battle taking place. We have a real enemy who does not want us to hear and respond to this message. That's true. So hard soil People refer to those who do not truly hear. Those who hear but do not truly listen and, and understand and believe. The message does not take root. Maybe you know some folks like this. I think we all do, don't we? Hard soil people, friends, family who are seemingly hard soil people. Listen, do not write them off. Lift them up. Pray for them. Pray that God would do the work only God can do through his spirit in their heart and life. Don't say that's just the way they are. I'm done with them. I'm done praying for them. No, don't do that. Let me remind you that Paul at one time was Saul of Tarsus, right? 
a seemingly hard-soiled person. Remember, he heard the gospel from Stephen and was there approving of Stephen's stoning. And at Stephen's death, we're told that Stephen prayed that God would be merciful to his persecutors and that blind eyes would be open to his gospel. And God was, and he did to one, to Paul. I believe Paul was the answer to Stephen's prayer. We talked about that in the book of Acts when we studied through it. That needs to be our response as well to hard soil people in our lives. Continue to faithfully share the gospel with them and pray that God would be merciful to them and change them from the inside out. Now let's look at the, uh, the, the second type of soil here, the rocky soil. Look at verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Jesus says the the rocky soil person is one who hears the word, they, they hear the gospel message, and at once, immediately, they, they receive it with joy. And there seems to be growth initially. Back in verse 6, we, we're told that it grew up, right? But here's the issue. The seed has not really taken root because the soil is shallow, we learn in Mark. The sun is scorching, we learn in Mark and Matthew. And because there is no moisture, we learn in Luke, it withers. Jesus says these individuals hear the word, they receive it right away. You ever, you ever witness that? Somebody that receives it right away. Yeah, I believe that. They receive it with joy. They're happy about it. But when times get tough, when times of testing come, they fall away. There, there, are, there are people who when they hear the message of the gospel, they say, I like that, that sounds good, I believe in that, I want to hear more of that. Let's be honest, there, there are certain elements to the gospel message that are attractive for many, right? The idea of spending eternity in heaven and glory in the presence of the Lord with loved ones who have died, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And they respond to that, portions of that message, and then something happens. Maybe a, maybe a trial. Maybe they, they lose some friends because of their association with Jesus. Maybe they just gradually, over a few weeks and, and months, burn out. They begin to look back to the way things once were, and they eventually turn back never to return. And in a few months, their lives look no different than when they once did. MacArthur describes him in this way. Look at this quote. They seem receptive. They show a keen interest. Jesus says they receive the word with joy, Luke 8, 13. They're exhilarated by it, but all that enthusiasm obscures the fact that there is no root. There is a kind of temporary credence that is not authentic faith precisely because it is superficial, shallow, and rootless. Jesus says these are rocky soil people. Now, this part of the parable upsets many. It's brought about a lot of debate in Christian circles over the years. Some argue that Jesus is not talking about unbelievers here, but carnal Christians. 
those who, who prayed a prayer and walked an aisle and passed through the waters of baptism and got saved and are in God's kingdom, but just barely in. And they're backslidden for the rest of their lives. Others say that this passage teaches that one can lose their salvation, that one can come to Christ and then choose to no longer follow him and fall out of favor with God and lose salvation. I don't believe Jesus means either one of those things, and I think those who believe that have a lot of explaining to do with the rest of Scripture. they got a problem on their hands, and it's the Bible. Jesus is talking about a counterfeit faith here. He's talking about one who at first glance seems to be outwardly in but is inwardly out. Those who appear at first glance to be saved, he's talking about those who, who, whose faith at first seems genuine but, but one whose faith was faulty at the first, watch me, because it fizzled before the finish. Listen, folks, God is crystal clear on two things when it comes to salvation. One is that God's people, those who are trusting in Christ for salvation, they are secure. Crystal clear on that. Jesus said, John 10, 27 through 29, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus is clear that his sheep are kept by the Father and are firmly in his grasp. They are secure. So that's number one. Point number one, God's people are secure. Point number two that is crystal clear in Scripture is that God's people endure. God's people are secure. God's people endure. Jesus says in the first part of John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Followers of Christ, I've shared this with you in the past, by definition, follow Christ. Okay? I've had people try to explain to me before, that uh, so-and-so, they're, they're, I believe they're a Christian because I remember I was there when they were seven. They walked the aisle. They, they were choked up. They passed through the waters of baptism. But today they don't believe in God. Can you be a child of God and not believe in God? Say no. Can you be a follower of Christ and have no desire to follow Christ? Say no. No. Jesus talks about endurance again and again. Matthew 10, 22, 24, 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Never heard that preached growing up. Our future salvation. What does Jesus mean when he says we'll be saved? We have been saved, right? What does he mean when he says we'll be saved? He's talking about endurance. He's talking about perseverance. God's people are secure, but God's people endure. They persevere. Do they mess up? Of course they do. Do some grow slower than others? Of course, yes. But God's people are messed up about messing up, and they, they forsake that sin. They turn from that, and they continue to pursue godliness. God's people are those types of people who keep trusting, keep following, keep believing. That's the point here of this parable. Some have just butchered this parable and said, well, 
He or she is a rocky soil Christian. There is no such thing. There are hard soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, non-believers, and good soil believers. Robert Stein in his commentary on Luke says this. Look at this. Lengthy quote. I apologize. Bear with me. This is good. The question is often raised about which of these soils represent true Christians. Who of these will be saved? There is general agreement that the first hearers were not true Christians and the last hearers were. Despite such phrases as receive the word with joy and believe, the second and even more so the third kind of hearers should be grouped with the first. For Luke, faith and hearing were valuable only if those who believe also endure and bring forth fruit. The faith that leads to salvation is a faith that does not fall away or endure only for a time. It is, on the contrary, a faith that perseveres until the end. Luke's emphasis in this parable is not on eternal security, but rather on the persevering of the saints. I agree. MacArthur, again, says it great here. Perseverance with fruit is the necessary sign of genuine saving trust in Christ. There is one of the key lessons. This is one of the key lessons of the whole parable. The marks of authentic faith is endurance. Jesus said, here's another verse. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Temporary faith is not true faith at all. It's believing in vain, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. So Jesus says the second type of soil refers to those who hear the word, they they respond to it, but over time they fall away, and because they fizzle before the finish, that shows that their faith was faulty to begin with. And the application for us is very, very simple. If you have an encounter with someone like this, let's say you have a friend or a family member, you might have even been there that day in church when they walked the aisle at 7 and made a decision and passed through the waters of baptism, but today their life looks no different from the world at present. They have no desire for the things of God, what they need from you is not for you to try to convince them that that time when they walked the aisle was a genuine decision. They need the gospel from you. You don't know what's going on in their heart and life any more than I do. But God does. And the Spirit of God works through the Word. So what you need to give them is the Word of God, the Gospel from His Word, and then let the Spirit of God do what only He can do, which is work in their heart and life and convince them of of what's true and what's not in their own heart and life and work it out within them. You be faithful and give that Gospel to them. Let's look now at the explanation of of soil number three. We've got to get moving. The thorny soil. Look at verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So notice the description here is of a person who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word out. And it proves unfruitful. God's people are warned again and again here. 
to hold loosely to the things of this world, to not love the world more than they should. One reason why is because it is, is foolish from a practical standpoint, right? Earthly riches are temporary. They do not last. They, they perish. So to look to earthly riches to provide lasting happiness doesn't work practically, does it? So it's foolish practically. It's also damaging spiritually. The, the cares of this world and the pleasures of life can keep us from spiritual riches in Christ. And as we read this parable, we need to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, am I in this camp? Am I trusting in created things rather than the creator? Are the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choking the word that I am hearing out of my, my heart and proving unfruitful in my life? When we study this parable, we are to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, where do we fall? Are we hard soil people, rocky soil people, thorny soil people, or good soil people? Let's look at that briefly. Lastly, the explanation of the good soil. Look at verse 15. As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, Paul Hibbard brought this up to me uh, last uh, hour in the first service, and, and it's key here to point out that uh, notice it says, bear fruit with patience. While we will be fruitful when we labor for the Lord, that comes in time, right? So we need to be patient and, and trust that, that God will bring that fruit through our faithfulness in time, right? That's important to remember here. Notice the, the description of good soil people. Good soil people hear the word, understand the word, believe the word, act upon the word. They hold fast to it. There is fruit in their life over time. They, they, they patiently labor no matter what though and they persevere. The point here is very, very simple. You want to be a good soil person. That's the point of the parable. You want to be a good soil person, are you? Are you a good soil believer or are you a bad soil non-believer? Only two types of people in this parable. Have you heard the gospel? Have you understood it? Have you believed on it? Have you responded to it in repentance, in faith? Is there, is there fruit in your life? If not, here's the message you need to hear. You need to know that God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came from heaven to earth, he took on flesh. He was more than a good soil person. He was in a category of his own. He did more than simply hear, understand, and obey God's word. He is the word, we're told in John 1. We learn in scripture that he came from heaven to earth to reveal God to us. He came from heaven to earth to identify with us so that we, through him, could identify with God. In addition to living the perfect life for us, he laid that perfect life down in our place. He took on our bad soil. He, he, he wasn't the bad soil. He became sin who knew no sin and was punished in our place so that we, through faith alone, in him alone, could become good soil. Here's how Paul describes it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake... 
He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. Are you believing on the person and work of Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? If not, I urge you to today. Turn from your sin. Bow the knee to Christ today and be saved. Let's pray together.